This is Toast to Our Differences, presented by Shu. Hello everyone and welcome to Toast to Our Differences. I am Vuj and next to me is the lovely Morgan. And we have linked up to create a series talking about issues which are perhaps quite complex that mm -hmm. are sort of very relevant to society to today. Mm -hmm. A lot of people feel uncomfortable talking about these topics, so it's going to be nice to actually have the conversation. I'm going to have a few experts and a few guests coming along to help us prompt the convo. Hello everybody and welcome to Toast to Our Differences. I am Vuj and I'm with the lovely Morgan and uh, this is a podcast where we speak about things that are happening in our society and things that also perhaps we don't understand ourselves. Today is an episode on disability and equality. Uh, we're joined by Carrie Adenogan, a GB Paralympian and James Cusack, CEO of Autistica, the first openly autistic CEO and I guess it's disability I don't know how you feel Morgan but I feel like I'm quite ignorant to people with disabilities I don't even know if even the terms disability is something that that is like the correct way to use the correct term to use how do you guys feel about the term disability itself um yeah it's one of those things a lot of people have been talking about it recently and a lot of people question whether it's the right term but for me personally I think it's okay I mean people just need to be able to talk about disability itself so if that's a way that people want to address disability you know that's fine because we can't ignore the situation and we can't try and sugarcoat it and pretend that it's something that it isn't so I think being open about talking about disability is the most important thing. Yeah, I agree with uh, Carrie. I think it's it's really important to have that open and honest conversation and um, really be be positive about it. And by recognising disability, we're in a really positive position to ensure that everyone is in a position to succeed in society. So, but we have to we have to name it and acknowledge it and ensure that everyone feels empowered. Yeah, mm. like I think I think. Uh, growing up in schools, I remember in class, uh, there was someone with autism in our class and he was separated. He was put to the side. And it, it, when you're a child and, you know, you're learning every day, it's like instilled within your mind that that person is different. And I feel like that's a really unfair way to, you know, um, to, to handle things, especially in a school environment when you're with all your friends and, you know, everybody should be mixing. And I feel like uh, it is important to have the conversation. And I think it should be pushed more in schools, actually, speaking about it and being open about it. What's your view on that? And how was your school experiences as well? Yeah, I mean, just in the, in, just in the context of, of, of autism, um, that's a really interesting um Autism is a really interesting example, I think, often in the context of disability, um, because a lot of the discussion around disability is really about the fact that we're all we're all different. And so, um, you know, as someone who was diagnosed with, with autism as a child, but basically knew they were different probably from the age of three. So I went to special specialist nursery before then going to a, a normal sort of mainstream primary school, um, you know, I, I I guess one of the things I've I've always known that I, I was like slightly different, and I said I've always had to think about who I am relative to other people. Um, but it's interesting. I I don't think people in a classroom, your sort of sort of typical child, really thinks about the fact that they're different from each other, mm -hmm. particularly often. And I actually think it's really healthy for all children to have a conversation about 
the reasons that we're different and why we're different from one another. Um, and, you know, that's where the idea of neurodiversity comes from, the fact that we all have different brains and different ways of thinking and understanding the world. And I think if kids could really learn that from quite an early age, I think that would be really, really helpful, not just for understanding autism, but just for understanding themselves and why different people have different views and different attitudes about, about things. So, you know, I think it's really useful, but actually quite often pupils in classrooms aren't educated. So, you know, I, I went to a school where um, there was a base particularly for uh, specifically for autistic people it was one of the first ones in the UK and there was a range of different people that I grew up with, with a range of different needs and there was lots of education done with the teachers but no one ever explained to the pupils what this base was for and why it existed so yeah. it basically meant that there was a lot of sort of misunderstandings and beliefs which were incorrect and so I think it's so important that pupils are educated about autism but also just about neurodiversity and the fact that we all think differently and we're all not we're not homogenous drones we all sort of have different views mm. could you i guess for for us that don't know what autism is or people watching that might not know what autism is could you like just define it in in terms that i guess could make sense to us to learn about um what autism is as a as a um, disability so um Autism is a neurodevelopmental disability. It affects one in a hundred people, and it affects you know how you um, perceive the world around you and understand the world around you. So, um, in particular, you might have different ways in terms of, uh, uh, different abilities in terms of social communication. You might find aspects of that quite difficult and need quite specific supports around that might have differences around sensory processing so a sense an environment like a train station which a lot of people might not find particularly overwhelming or stressful might be quite overwhelming for some autistic people because it's loud there's a lot of people around um and then there's there's a range of other things associated with autism so autistic people quite often have difficulties with things like attention so we call that executive functioning so managing different tasks and they might have specific interests, which uh, they're really, really focused on as well. And so from an early age, what that means is that, you know, is that, you know, if you look at an autistic child at three, they might pay less attention when as someone comes into the room because they might be really specifically interested in something else. Um, they might not make eye contact in, 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 in the usual way. And what, you know, you know, what, what, what we're about is, so I work for an autism research charity, is really trying to find ways which enable autistic people in a healthy way while allowing them to still be themselves. Mm, okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you um, for, for letting us know. Um, and Carrie, how about you? Your, your disability is a, is a physical disability. Um, when did you realize that you were different to the world around you? And um, yeah, when did you start getting into sports, obviously becoming a, one of the youngest Paralympians at, I believe, 15? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was school. As we've been speaking about education in school, I think that was the moment that I really realised I was different. Um, so when I was in preschool, I used a walker. So I was still using kind of like um, physical aids to help me. But especially primary school, when I was using a wheelchair, I really realised how different I was just um, in terms of access. You know, accessibility is one of those things that needs to be discussed about a lot. And for example, my school had um, a playground and there was a part of the playground called the spinny that I couldn't access with my wheelchair. And I know a lot of my friends used to enjoy going there. So that's the moment where I realised where I was, you know, separated from my friends purely because of access reasons. Um, and also with sport, 
um, I wasn't able to do PE um, with the rest of my class a lot of the time. A lot of the time I'd be on the sidelines. Sometimes a teacher would say, oh, you can judge, you know, you can sit and judge all the other students almost as a way of getting me involved in the exercise. But in fact, I wasn't really being involved. So things like that made me feel like I was different because I wasn't included, you know, in a sporting um, setup. So when I saw London 2012 and the Paralympic Games, I was so inspired and it made me realise that actually I can do sport like everybody else. And mm -hmm. I think that's why I was so determined to go on and do it at a high level because I wanted to prove, you know, prove everyone wrong. Carrie, uh, how has uh, you obviously, you know, and you're not in the typical workplace, you're an Olympian, you're, a, you know, a sportswoman. Um, how's university been? Because you're, you're doing that on the side, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've been um, at uni. I'm in second year now. So, okay. but most of my studying's at home. So, in some ways, like we've spoken about accessibility, working from home hasn't been too bad. It's kind of been nice that I'm able to do most things from home, and then also do my training at home. So it's it's kind of like a nice routine. How was first year? Did you did you study properly or did you just blag it? Because we know first year doesn't count. <laughs> I don't know it was, it was a mixture because I thought I'd have the Paralympics in first year so I was like yeah I don't really care I'm just gonna train but <laughs> but yeah um that that kind of changed a little bit but um, first year was fun yeah so you say so uni's <laughs> predominantly been um studying from home at the moment yeah. and they've they, they've been uh they've been quite open with your physical disability and and knowing that you have a disability and and have they has does that prevent you in any way in in your studies or or not um most of it has been okay but occasionally i've been put into lecture rooms that weren't accessible um so sometimes that's a bit of a struggle but they tend to be able to change things but i do understand a lot of these buildings are very old and mm. not always accessible so again that's something that needs to be improved in the future so what happens when you like in one of those instances say you you come to the door you come to a staircase and you can't get in what does the uni do to to help out do they make you do it at home do they give you like a recording or do, do they someone like help carry you down the wheelchair down um how do you deal with a certain instance like that it's difficult i mean thankfully i'm able to transfer onto a normal chair so what i did in that instance was i literally had to have my chair next to a staircase where people were entering into the room then i had to go onto like a seat beside me but obviously my chair was kind of in the way um i carried on for the uh, lesson but then i had to inform someone that it was inaccessible so that i could get my room changed but obviously i feel like maybe more needs to be done so people are aware of the fact that their students have a disability so that they don't end up in the wrong room in the first place. I got you. Has, got your, you. has your uni been online since the lockdown and everything? Like, is it online now? Yeah, it's been online. So yeah, I haven't had to worry too much about lecture rooms necessarily. Yeah. So it has, it has, it has been a lot easier um, in that sense. And do you reckon you'll, you'll carry on in, in the field of sports um, or will you go into something else? Because you're studying philosophy, right? Or is it PP? Is it philosophy you're doing? Yeah. History. Okay, so you're doing history, but do you think you'll go into something different or you're going to stay in a sports space? I think I'll carry on doing sport, but I also kind of want to go into teaching. Um, and I think it'll be nice to be in a teaching environment. I don't know what it's like, you know, being in teaching and having a disability, but mm. I really want to be able to maybe do something a bit different in that space and um, and help students. Um. But I just have a question for James. Um, obviously, autism is not a physical disability. Uh, would you say it's hard to diagnose? 
I think it's definitely been getting an autism diagnosis is a big challenge for parents and and adults as well. Actually, so a lot of people don't get diagnosed with autism until um, they are an adult, and that is particularly a problem um, for women. So a lot of women are not diagnosed um, effectively in childhood, and I, you know, although there is good science to say that autism is, is slightly more prevalent in boys, the actual number of girls that are getting diagnosed is, is, is not enough and, and, and actually people girls are in particular um being missed um through childhood and it basically means that um they're they're left in a situation where they have quite a number of adverse events throughout sort of their childhood and then they get to adulthood and then eventually they hopefully get a diagnosis um so it is very difficult to diagnose um we see that even if parents do um, begin to notice uh, that their child might need some extra support or they're having difficulties or, um, you know, the, the, the nursery is reporting something, um, even then it can take a while. And there's some research out which shows that some parents wait almost four years to get a diagnosis. Um, and, yeah. you know, that's really it's something which we're actually working with the the uh, government on to try and to try and change because there is no reason why that should be the case we do have uh well validated ways of diagnosing autism um so we you know so it generally happens by working with the clinician and a, a team of experts who um who who then who then come to a, a conclusion on whether or not someone it meets the criteria for being autistic or not i mean the good news is that things have improved an awful lot so i went to um a school when I was a nursery when I was free and I showed all of the sort of classic signs and there's the reports which demonstrate that and then I didn't get diagnosed until I was 12 because they thought because I didn't have an intellectual disability that I couldn't be um autistic so you know we are definitely improving there is definitely signs of progress but there's a lot of work to do to ensure um that everyone is being diagnosed and, and I'm you know I'm particularly concerned about you know if you come from a certain type of background and I think you're, you have certain privileges, then I think you're more likely to get that diagnosis. And if you don't, um, so, you know, coming from like a sort of middle-class sort of well-to-do family puts you in a position where you're, you know, you know, in a slightly better position, which is what the position I was in, you know, my parents were able to advocate for themselves. Whereas I don't actually think that's necessarily true for everyone. And it, you know, so I think there's a bit of a postcode lottery as well. So I think there's a lot of work to do to try and ensure that everyone gets the right sort of support and diagnosis as well. In terms of, um, I guess you're saying there's, there's difficulties obviously with the outside world having a disability. Um, for you, Carrie, um, how have you find, found your physical disability has, has I guess changed your experience with um, the outside world and do you think things have improved since you were younger um, with how the world views physical disability in terms of accessibility moving around has it gotten better how much more do we have to go as a society to to make it even better I think it's still it's still difficult as a challenge it's obviously it's really dependent on your disability as well I think access wise in general I still have a I still have times where you know I want to go to a certain restaurant or a certain cafe then there's a load of stairs so I can't get there for example those are quite like practical examples even on social media you know I know that for example the deaf community really struggle with accessibility you've got videos that don't have captions mm. for example and things like that so I think we still need to do a lot to make sure that 
um, things are accessible so that people with disabilities can, you know, be involved in in everything that's going on in society. Yeah, and have you seen a change though over the last maybe five, ten years in in terms of, I guess, restaurants adapting their their environment? Is it becoming better or is it not? Is it still quite a I don't know people just aren't really I guess paying attention to it yeah I mean it's tough because even in the law they say about reasonable adjustments and obviously that's really vague so a lot of restaurants will think that it's unreasonable to have you know to have a ramp or whatever it might be Um, I think in some ways maybe people's understanding and perception of disability has improved you know because of things like London 2012 and things like that but I think still a lot of people or a lot of businesses need to be more aware of how they can make you know their um, their businesses or facilities more accessible. Do you personally feel affected have you felt I guess that maybe affects your mental health or have you just found a way to sort of be in your zone and not let these challenges um, get you down or affect you too much? Um, I think I try and adapt to things and I try and be as positive as I can be. But I do think people need to think a bit more about the disabled community. Um, you know, I think we're still kind of sidelined a bit and I just think people need to be more aware of it. And hopefully through discussions about disability and um, people will be more aware and actually make those changes. How about in the in the in terms of the the sports world? Obviously, you you went to the or Paralympics. Um, how was that journey for you? And was that like a big dream of yours when you first started? What is it? Is a hundred meter racing? What what's your discipline? Yeah, so I do um, the hundred and the eight hundred meters. They're my Paralympic events. Yeah, so I really just wanted to go to the Paralympic Games. I was so inspired by it. So that was always my goal. So when I was able to go to Rio and medal for my country, it was just a huge dream come true. So who did you look up to? Oh, sorry, I'm going to I was going to say, who did you look up to? Like, who inspired you? I saw a lady called Hannah Cockcroft in the London 2012 Paralympic Games, and she has a similar disability to me. So I was really inspired by her. And then I ended up, you know, being on the same team as her and we race in the same um, category and in the same event. So it's quite crazy to think I literally just saw her and now we're literally on the start line together. Um, How did you choose your sporting event? Um, It's not too much of a choice so I mean I, I wanted to do athletics I saw athletics um I did wheelchair racing but with the Paralympics they just give you certain events for your classification mm. so for my disability cerebral palsy we just have the 100 and the 800 meters um, obviously they're completely different events but I have to train for the sprints and also for the longer distances wow. mm. and how did you like when how was the process to getting into the Olympic side did someone like see you at school? Was it like an after school activity and someone like a scout came and, and said, oh, she's really quick or talented and then put you in the team? Or do you go to like a county level? Like, how does it work on um, in the in the Paralympic, in a Paralympic sort of sphere? I had to do research. So, I mean, I wanted to do the sport. I did a mm. bit of research and I found out that there was a club literally 10 minutes away from where I lived. Um, they train at the Warwick University track, which is ironically, you know, where I am at university now. Um, but that was pretty much how it started. And my coach already had an athlete that went to the Paralympic Games. So that was really good. And he had a lot of experience in para sports. So then I started through that and then gradually improved and got better. And then I was able to like be on the national team. So you went on and on, you go to the Olympics, you win some medals. And were you the youngest at that time 
in the in the GB team for the, when you went for the first time? I was the youngest in the in the athletics team. Yeah. Okay. And did you feel like out of place being the youngest Olympian there, or was it? Or was it fine? Did you just get along with everyone? Everybody was quite welcoming. How was the atmosphere sort of in the um in the Paralympic team? Yeah, it was really good. I mean, everybody was really nice. It's nice when you're at the Paralympics because you're meeting people from loads of different sports as well. So mm. it's a really nice atmosphere. And and um, the, the group itself, athletics, we've got people of all sorts of different ages, um, different disabilities. So it's nice. And I never really felt like I was left out in any way. And um, there's lots of people to kind of hang out with. And yeah, it's just a great vibe, really. Well, that, and you've won three medals, right? Three Paralympic medals, yeah. So that's, was it two silvers, one bronze? Um, One silver, two bronze. One silver, two bronze. So we're hoping 2021 Tokyo, we're, we're getting a gold. Oh. <laughs> yes, manifest it. <laughs> and, and how, I mean, I guess obviously locked, we've had these lockdowns and, and coronavirus and uh, a lot of changes happening to our society. Has that affected your training? Yeah, it has. I mean, the track has been closed, uh, the gyms have been closed. So I've had to do a lot of my training at home. I mean, thankfully, I've got some equipment and I'm able to actually race indoors because I've got rollers that allow me to use my chair indoors. Um, but it's really not the same. And it has really disturbed a lot of things for a lot of athletes. But we've just had to learn to adapt. And we're just really excited for next year. Get that gold. James, how have you, how have you found um, lockdown? How have you been coping with it all? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you know, it, it initially it was just, you know, the first lockdown was just so intense, wasn't it? And I, I think everyone sort of just couldn't quite believe what was happening. <laughs> and, you know, I, I still found it, you know, just incredibly, you know, surreal and, and, and sad um, as well. Um, so, yeah, I think the first time around it was, it was shocking. I think this time around it's just a little bit more sort of grim and dull and you know and sad as well again but it's just sort of reality of it coming through again i think it's really really um difficult to deal with uh, you know it's really interesting we've been talking to a lot of autistic people about how it's been affecting them and i think overall the sort of sort of theme that you know us and our charities are finding is autistic people are, are feeling slightly less stranded so they just sort of feel like very isolated very lonely mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. although personally everything is going quite well for me I'm really conscious of the fact that again I'm in a very lucky position um, and actually you know one of the things I'm really passionate about is ensuring that we're enabling everyone you know and, and ensuring that everyone's in a position to you know go on and succeed and I think you know when I, when I speak to other autistic people I think you know things like Zoom have been amazing for some autistic people and actually in some ways really open things up so basically it means they don't have to get on a train and do you know they can working from home becomes a lot easier um and so that's been brilliant but for other people it's other autistic people they find that quite hard and um i think that's that's you know what i'm finding is that there's like a real range of experiences and so um yeah it's 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 it's, it's a real mixed bag mm. and in terms of um could you tell us a little bit more about what Autistica does specifically? We're sort of talking about, you know, uh, work and the autistic community. Um, has that changed how you work as well in terms of getting people into work? So, yeah. So, I mean, 
so our our job as a charity is really to try and create the, the, those breakthroughs that enable autistic people to live um, happier, healthier, and longer lives. And so we do that by funding research, shaping research, trying to get more research going in the UK, um, which can build the evidence base that, um, sort of, again, it can empower autistic people. And so we've got we, we've got different streams of work going on. So we've got um, we're developing a health check for autistic adults. Um, we've got um, studies looking at how you can support autistic children from a young age. Um, we've got this really cool citizen science project going on with the Turing Institute, which is about how you enable autistic people in the real world, so where they can report like where an environment is accessible for them. So you know, like taking your restaurant ex example, like, is there a sort of quiet spot that they can go to for them? That would be quite enabling for. Um, some autistic people then we've got a range of projects looking at mental health approaches as well and and, and to take to take your to, ask, to answer your question how has COVID affected us well it has affected us quite severely I guess it's affected the charity quite a lot in terms of the amount of work that we can do because we've, uh, we've raised slightly less money as a consequence of the pandemic mm -hmm. um but um it's also presented opportunities for us in terms of understanding things like employment. So I think this pandemic is really has really actually shown that working from home is actually really poss possible. As an example, and the you know society's been telling disabled people for quite a long time that you know you have to be in the office and like you have you know you, you, there's this is like this is just really important. And I think this pandemic has shown that it is possible and you know to make adaptations and make reasonable adjustments and ensure that if if actually working from home is is better for some for some people then we should be doing it so i think we're definitely learning you know through this pandemic which is a, you know unfortunately a, a tragic event um in its own right but there are definitely things that we're learning which can really hopefully help autistic people in, in the long term even though in the short term this is having taking quite a, a strong toll on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you speak about um, autistic people in the workplace. What issues do autistic people in the workplace face? And have you experienced so, anything yourself as well? Yeah, so I mean, I think, you know, if you look at autistic, if you look at graduate groups, autistic people are the most likely to be um, on not in full-time employment or, or unemployed. And, um, despite the fact that they have quite a range of um, abilities, autistic people find it really hard to, to, to get to get into work. And when they do get into work, they're quite often underemployed and under and underpaid. And so we're trying to find ways to really address that. So we work with other charities to try and evaluate how different programs work and to see, to try and build an evidence base around that. Um, and we're also trying to find the and find and address the barriers that exist and so for example we know that job interviews can be really difficult for a lot of autistic people um and you know actually a lot of other groups as well so you know if you job interviews you know basically quite often discriminate on the basis of like disability race socioeconomic status because there's like this sort of privileged knowledge that you're meant to have going into the interview and if you don't actually like have that knowledge then actually like you don't succeed and so a lot of the questions have a, a bit of a subtext to them and mm -hmm. so autistic people really you know suffer from that and are quite often um you know not selected not on the basis of their competency for the role but just because 
they don't know how to answer the question properly or they don't read between necessarily read between the lines so you know we've we've started making recommendations to companies that they can do things really simple things like send out the interview questions ahead of time like this is not an exam <laughs> like yeah. it's like it's like like, like, it's like like it's like help people to prepare you want to see the best version of people um they can make things like reasonable adjustments in the workplace you know so you know this is really people think oh these are going to be really expensive things like they're just like quite often quite basic sensory things like you know nick pair of noise cancelling headphones for some people um having their desk placed in a certain position maybe coming in at 10 o'clock so they don't have to go in in a busy train or, or a busy underground you know or the tube or, or something like that really really basic things and actually we're developing an evidence base around this and saying here are some of the things that you can do that will really empower people and you know the thing that i always say about this and this applies across disability generally is like you will thrive if you have a diverse team and you know and that that you know that that includes like a neurodiverse team so if you want people that have different ways of thinking in your organization um which we know is where companies succeed Mm -hmm. then you should be looking to accommodate and hire autistic people and other people as well because that's you know that is that's how you your company is going to succeed you know so you, know, you can do it because it's the right thing to do or you can do it because it's the best thing for your company yeah. whatever way you look at it it's the way you should do it <laughs> yeah anyway you should be doing it yeah so you know that's that's my view yeah, yeah. um do you find maybe like autistic people come up with solutions which would perhaps be out of the box you might come from angles that someone else might not see in a in a typical uh work work environment yeah, so I mean, I think the thing about autism, autism's um, quite an interesting condition. So you know, if you look at babies who later go on to be diagnosed with autism, there's some things that they find difficult or they don't do, so they don't pay attention to faces quite as much or eyes um, quite as much potentially. Um, but they do identify patterns much more effectively than non-autistic babies. So that there's, you know. This is a, a different sort of very different cognitive profile, and it definitely does come with difficulties. And I never want to undermine that, but um, it also comes with it also comes with strengths as well. And I guess that that sort of diversity in, in terms of thought really allows um, you know to, allows you to be in a position to come up with new ways of thinking, like you say, and innovative solutions. And as a charity, we have. Um, one third of our one third of our staff is is, is autistic, um, but not all of our staff is autistic because we believe in having a neurodiverse team. So you know that, that so it's really important that we have autistic people and non-autistic people working together to come up with innovative solutions. And so I I think it it's 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 not that necessarily autistic people are better than non-autistic people at coming up with solutions. It's just that teams that have both autistic and non-autistic people in them might be better together. Yeah. Well, what's your biggest like what's your biggest goal for your career overall like what is it that you want to to achieve obviously to get gold but like is there anything else that 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 you really want to achieve you know like it might be it might not have to do with um being in the Paralympics it could be anything like um I I think one thing that I'm really passionate about at the moment is um diversity in our sport sadly Mm. in some ways like para sport isn't that diverse um you know even in even in athletics um there's not many people from black or Asian backgrounds so Mm. I really want to try and um inspire more you know um athletes and more disabled people from those types of communities to come into the sport as well Mm. why do you reckon there is perhaps an issue with with diversity and um 
maybe people from different backgrounds not uh, being on the team or not getting into the sport itself? I think it's a case of not really seeing people that look like us doing para sport. You know, for me, I didn't see um, another black athlete at that time when I started, although I did find out about more um, over time. And and it's about being visible. And that's one thing that I really, you know, I want to get out there more so that um, young black disabled children actually see other black disabled people, you know, on TV and things like that. Yeah, I was going to actually shout out one. I don't know if he was an Olympian, um, but he's a black dude and he's a, I think he's in a wheelchair as well. And I think he used to like present on BBC and like play basketball. He's got dreadlocks. He has dreadlocks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I used, I used to, to always see him and be like, this guy's sick. I remember when he was younger, um, I could imagine that could be like, that, that, yeah, as you said, like we need to see people to, to, I guess, yeah, understand it more. Well, sorry, what's his name? Cause I feel that's rude. I didn't even mention his name. Ade. 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 Yeah. That's it. And like, he's like such a bubbly personality as well representation is so important like James do you feel like there's enough representation for autistic people and young autistic people because I feel like when you're a child and you're watching the telly and all of these things and you're watching films representation is so important you need to feel like you are accepted as well um do you feel do you feel like that could be done more pushed more yeah it's it's really interesting you ask about that because I was just being uh, interviewed by a student who was asking whose whole dissertation was on this issue. Um, I think it is changing. So I think when I when I was diagnosed, um, it was like in nine, sort of towards the end of the nineties. Um, the only sort of the major sort of form of representation for autism was the film Rain Man. So I don't know if you remember that, but it was it had uh, Dustin Hoffman in it and uh, Tom Tom Cruise. It's sort of a film from the eighties, and you know, the sort of view around autism at that time was that, it, you know, I, you know, and the sort of impression I got given when I got the diagnosis was it basically wasn't very good news. And, you know, you weren't, you know, the, the suggestion was that, you know, going on and achieving things in life would be quite challenging. Mm-hmm. I think that is changing. And I think that we are getting more um, representation now. Um, and so people are beginning to sort of share positive stories i think the, the complicated thing about autism is autism is hugely diverse in itself so what being autistic can mean for one person is very different from another person so mm-hmm. in, you know in my in, in my case i've been quite fortunate in so much as with the right support i've been able to go on and you know and get a job and so on but for a lot of autistic people that isn't something which is possible for them and they require two-to-one support and they have quite complex complex needs and so I think what's really important is is the breadth of representation as well so to represent all the different ways in which autism manifests itself Mm -hmm. and then you know speaking to to Carrie's point there isn't a lot of uh you know representation in terms of black or Asian uh, autistic people and that's you know to me a real problem and it's something which we know you know we are we need to improve on as well as a charity which is as well ensuring that when we're involving people we're being representative in that way and that and I think there's a bit of a like yeah I think an anxiety I have is you know a lot of the autistic characters are like white male boys as well and I think it's just about ensuring that 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 sort of representation is being covered um Mm -hmm. is as well because I think that you know if we don't you know, if, if if we don't do that, then we're not we're not speaking to everyone yeah. as well. So I, I think 
so I, I think, you know, we've there, things have improved, but there's still a lot of work to do to ensure that autistic people are being properly represented. And it's not just as well, there's a bit of a trope within autism, which is around like, oh, this autistic person has this like superpower or like, you know, that they have this like savant skill where they're amazing at math or something like that. And, you know, actually that isn't what life is. It's not really necessarily an authentic portrayal of autism. So I'd like to see a little bit more of autism being portrayed where it's just there in the background. I mm -hmm. think that's an issue with disability. It's like the story is not about the person being disabled. They just happen to be like disabled. Like I think that'd be quite nice. <laughs> like yeah. rather than like it being like this whole, like that that's the story. It's like, well, it's, it's not necessarily a story. You could just be part of, you know. Like I'm just a person and this is what comes with me, like instead yeah. of in the forefront. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That could be like the next step and like the next big goal for um, Autistica, you know, like yeah. bringing that into it a lot more. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, representation is definitely important, 100%. Mm. Yeah. How do you guys feel about, about the future? Obviously, it's a strange time now in general, I think, for, for all of us. But in terms of, you know, um, carry some of a physical disability and, um, and you, James, you know, with a, I want to get this right, neuro, neuro disability. Am I, am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Neuro disability. How do you guys feel about the future going forward and, and, and I guess, yeah, just improvements that the society could make and then we all could make? towards understanding uh, what you guys go through on a daily basis? Um, I think I think the future's bright. I mean, you know, I think people are becoming more aware of disability and, and I think I'm seeing disability more, you know, of course that things need to be done. But I think, as I said before, you know, just having conversation like this is, is a good starting point just for people to be more aware and for people to openly talk about disability. And yeah, I think I'm really excited and excited for the Paralympics and other sporting events coming up as well. And just for people to have an opportunity to see people with disabilities in a different light, in a different way. Hopefully we'll have the fans back as well. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, right, hope, I, I hope the fans, I hope the fans are back as well. <laughs> We're all looking forward to the fans. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'll be so much better if the fans are back. Um, they, you know, I I, I like I I'm I'm, a, I'm an optimist, and I I do just think that things people's understanding and knowledge of disability is improving all the time. There's a long way to go, and it's we're like, you know, in many ways in autism, I do feel we're like at the foothills rather than at the top of the mountain. We've got and it's a big mountain that we've um we've got we've got to climb in terms of ensuring that we're doing everything we can to you know enable autistic people to live. Um, that sort of happier, healthier, longer life that I talked about earlier. But I feel really confident that there's there's amazing work being done out there. The sort of the Dare initiative that we're doing with employment, I think, can really help uh, um, autistic uh, people. You know, we've got a, a load of different research coming through, which is really all all the time finding new ways to empower autistic people. And autistic people are finding their voice as well and being able to share their stories. And I think so. I think that's all. Um, Ex extremely positive and it's just ensuring that we keep up the momentum but yeah i'm i'm optimistic i think we're on the right road um you know we're, we are going to wrap up um thank you guys for for joining us but is is there anything that you know the audience could check out uh maybe any websites any links to to learn further about you know cerebral palsy and uh, and autism as well um 
I might just plug myself. Even Go for it. Go for it. Um, but, um, my Instagram is Carrie Adenigan on Instagram. And I've also done like a series about race and disability. There's also a lady called Nina underscore Tame on Instagram as well that talks a lot about disability. So it's nice just to um, talk about disability from different perspectives. Amazing. I am not cool enough to be able to use Instagram. <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh, we need to get you on, James. We're getting you on. <laughs> yeah, I do have an. I do. I do. I do have. I do have an Instagram. I just. I just get quite. Uh, the stories in particular confuse me. But. I, um, but I am on. I am. On, I am on Twitter. But I, as for uh, Autistica, um, yeah, we, we've obviously got our website, autistica.org.uk. You can check out if you're a company and you're looking to support autistic people in the workplace. Do check out our uh, Dare stands for Discover Autism Research and Employment Initiative. Um, and you can also, you know, support our work in a range of different ways if you head to our website. And if you're autistic yourself, we've got uh, different pieces of information which we hope can be helpful in projects which um, should uh, speak directly to the priorities of the community as well. So yeah, just head along to our website and you can find out more. Thanks, God. Thank you, Thank you guys very much. Um, yeah, I felt like I, I learned a lot. I feel like I have quite a bit to learn, so I want to get on the on the links and the websites. Uh, but good luck, Harry, uh, at, um, at Tokyo. So hopefully 2021, the gold comes back to Britain. Yeah. <laughs> and James, thank you very much for joining us as well. Uh, and yeah, man, you guys have a have a great day. Uh, uh, lockdown slash, you know, whatever we're going through right now. And uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. Big love. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for having us. Bye. Cheers. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Toast to Our Differences brought to you by Shu.